been a while how you been seth oh rob jarter so good to see you where'd your beard go my beard and my beard is gone but you know it's been almost a year maybe a year it could be not the beard like seeing you well you know doing a recording that is no i think we had the jeremy garrett episode jeremy garrett episode i think it was like november around thanksgiving was it no did we do a quick check-in or something i don't know well hey it's good to see you it's good to be back yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Your rocksioneering career is taking off. Uh, you're, and you got a girlfriend. Your cruise career has pivoted. Yes, uh, that's right. Yes, I have a wonderful, amazing uh, girlfriend, and uh, I've been allowed into this amazing family, and I've got exciting podcasts happening. Uh, stew on this. Is stew one. on this. And the Umphreys Wow Show, both on Dropped Among This Crowd Media. Check them out, folks, if you like. Uh, the, if you like Umphreys, the Um Wow Show. We'll go, we're now going song by song, and we have like a side A that's more for the casual fan, and then a side B that's more for the hardcore. But Carl Engelman, stew on this. Anybody can listen to that. We're going to be talking about everything. It's going to the core is going to be cooking and cultural commentary. But um, so like alphabet soup, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Well, the first episode we went and picked mushrooms, and he just put together a dish for, based on everything in his kitchen. Psychedelic or no? But we talked about them, and we may do an episode Todd Snyder style, some you know, on oh. psychedelics sometime. Who knows? But he's a wild guy. He's got his he just he's a rock on tour, you know, and he's he's a, he's a big thinker. And we'll get into conspiracies and the Illuminati and all kinds of all kinds of crazy. The Georgia Guidestones. The Georgia Guidestones. Sounds just up your alley. Well, I'm glad you're still podcasting. And uh, and listeners, thanks for tuning in with us here today. And 
It's been a minute. It's been a it's been a minute, like like I said, and I'll keep saying, but, uh, but for I good do, reason. I do see people out at shows, and people ask about the show, and I really appreciate that. I don't know if I... It's rare. It's not a lot. I had the one person that said something to me, thank you. I really appreciate you. No, it's it's usually, believe it or not, I'm like fish and tray stuff, usually, or voodoo visionary, hmm. you know? Okay. But uh, there are people who like the podcast and are wondering what it, where it had gone and, you know... Just been busy, you know. It's a it's a labor of love, and there's so many podcasts out there. Uh, and quite frankly, I've I've put all my energy into your Rockshaneer, and it is booming. And you're doing really well. Now you you feel like the more you do it, the more are you really connecting with these audiences? Well, I mean, because some I've seen you work in front of very stiff and obnoxious audiences, and I've seen you like work crowds up into a frenzy. Are you finding the latter is happening more and more as you the more you do it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm now being referred by other colleagues into much larger, uh, more established fundraisers. So that's helpful. So right. fundraisers, you know, galas that have been going on for many, many years and whatnot. So uh, seasoned folks that are there, money in the room, real auction items, you know, that uh, that are going for 15000 25000 50000 you know, it's really... Really and you hidden. do silent auctions, too. It's not just your dog and pony show standing up in front of people. You're very adept at putting together silent auctions and, and knowing how to promote them and, and encourage the bids and use texting and social media to encourage the bids and so forth. Sure. I mean, though, when you're talking about it, it's more when I do it like the music festivals where I run the whole shebang. Um, shebang. But, but what I do is consult. That's the main thing that I'm doing. I'm working with a nonprofit, getting them from – a to B to Z and back to A because we always debrief after, and we're and 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 doing the training. I mean, I I just got back from doing a benefit auctioneer summit in beautiful San Diego. Oh my God, I love San uh, Diego. I got to go with the family, aforementioned family. We got to do San so Diego. So gorgeous, right? Ocean Beach is so chill. It's like another planet there. Owen Murphy, he was uh, he was stationed there. He was in the Navy there. My, my, yeah, my Owen. man Owen, who was at Widesford Panic with me last night. Nice. So, so you know, those those type of conferences, I'm working with other colleagues. We're sharing information. We actually, you'll appreciate this. We started, uh, Judy Carter did a comedy workshop, and she was fabulous. And uh, and so, you know, a bunch of us bought the books, and I started a book club. So we're going to, I'm going to be working on comedy here in the future. So, uh, anyway, that's, you know, actually workshopping with other folks. How do you feel about that? That sounds very good. You should get Greg Fitzsimmons to do some comedy. Well, how about I just start working on my material first? Can can we start with that? <laughs> can we? Well, t- tell them where to find about about your... Uh... Yourrockshaneer.com. Y-O-U-R-R-O-C-K-T-I-O-N-E-E-R.com. Should we roll right into it? Why not? Ladies and gentlemen, somebody just into- walked in the door. Come on over here, Grant. We got Grant Green Jr. Junior! Junior, we're going to do a level check and everything all live. We're going to do it on the fly, old school style. Yeah, 1972. Looking at you, Rob. <laughs> Here's Gigi. Looking at Good to see you, man. Uh, we, Good to yes, see you, Grant. Yes. Yeah, grab a mic, grab a seat, grab a water. And, uh, you know, this is how we do it. Just roll right into it. Okay. Uh. Thank you, Mr. Bacharach. Talk into that so he can set your level. Yeah, say hello. Hello. Oh, there we go. Ah, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, we're there. <laughs> we got Gigi in the house. Where are we, Gigi? We're uh, at 800 East. This is where we just recorded this, the latest album. And what's it called? Thank you, Mr. Bacharach. You no, know, I know the album, the studio. Oh, this is 800 East. 800, 800 East is the name of it. Okay. Yeah, because it's... Yeah. The address. Yeah. The address. Gotcha. Yeah. 
So, eight hundred these. I did notice the f- the first song, "Wives and Lovers," who you may, mm-hmm. may people may have heard it in uh, Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. It's been recorded what by. What are a you bunch talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought it was interesting because, first of all, I think it's the only one of the six that your father recorded. Is that correct? No, he actually recorded. Um, uh, I'll never fall in love again, too. Did he really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he did that on the Green is Beautiful album, and um, but we put a different take on it. You know, he did it more of a, more of like a, of a more of a bossa type thing on it, uh, and we just kind of modernized it a little bit, put a little different little spin on it. So he did the bossa, you did the nova. Uh, there you go. And I'm gonna do the locks. <laughs> <laughs> but we also have an alternative version of it that's gonna probably come out when the, when the vinyl comes out. It's, Ooh. And I did it close to what way my old man did it. Nice. All right. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I also like this is a thing, Rob. I don't know. You're not a big music fan or anything like that. But do you notice there's a lot of people are getting really creative. And I've been hearing this more and more where it's no longer just putting out the album. Right. Because you put out the album it goes on Spotify. People hear it. Mm-hmm. But if you put out a vinyl to put out two things, one, put out different music on the vinyl. So yes. And then also different order. Right, people yeah. are playing Different around sequencing. with order. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, does the order matter on Spotify when people when so no. much is playlists and stuff? I, I, you know what? It, it's funny. I mean, I never listen to Spotify. What? I don't. What do you use some music? I listen, I, I listen to a lot of old stuff that I have. You know what I mean? I mean, I listen to a lot of. I don't like CDs, eight track. What are you talking? I have a. You know, I have my playlist that I've that I've, I've accumulated over the years on my you know on my iPad and on my or even on my cell phone. I have like I have tons and tons and tons of of, of that's probably why my memory goes. Yeah, as I say. <laughs> Do you ever listen to Bert? I mean, I know not his songs, but him doing his own. Songs. I've listened to Bert. I have been a big fan of Bert Backrack since I was a child. I was really intrigued by all that Dionne Warwick stuff, you know. Um, and you know, once I found out he was the writer, then that was you know, then I was listening to everything he did. And you'd be surprised how much stuff he did. I mean, he's he's done a lot of stuff. And he found Dion at a young age. I mean, she she sang a bunch of these songs, right? She Three sang a bunch of, of them. yeah. I mean, she she's probably sang more songs for him than anybody. So he just sort of discovered her at a young age and nurtured. Well, her? he was a writer and writer and and arranger back in those days. So. He was more into writing and arranging because, you know, he wrote for uh, Dusty Springfield and a lot of different people. But he was more of a writer, arranger, and, and a producer back in those days. So what the record companies would do, they would hire, like they still do sometimes, they hire guys to come in. And he was one of the hot guys at that time. Well, you mentioned Dusty Springfield. That brings us to the look of love, isn't that? There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did the look of love. Um, so what, what about that song jumped out at you that made you want to? Again, it's always been one of those songs that, you know, once I heard, you know, <laughs> you know where I first heard that song at? In uh, um, that James Bond movie spoof. <laughs> <laughs> what was that called? Uh, uh, wait, hold on, are you talking about the uh, Mel Brooks one? No, oh, the okay. one with Peter Sellers and yeah. Woody. Uh, it was, a, it, cause they, it's, it's really from a James Bond, a uh, real James, because they did, they read the original, the latest guy that did it, he did the Casino Royale. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was called, Casino Royale. And that was that was the love scene in Casino Royale. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is kind of a cool song, you know? I, I remember it from back then. Uh, but it was always, it was also one of those songs that, you know, all of, you know, if you, if you kind of tip to play jazz or any type of bossy, you, you would have to learn that song. So it was kind of the standard to put it on there. 
Yeah, say your last album, you know, had Atlanta Girl, which uh, still should be a number one hit here in Atlanta, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we're still waiting for CeeLo Green to take that and, and make it real popular. <laughs> He's right. crazy not to. He's crazy not to. Look at you with your... Uh, but you went a whole different direction because that was... You, you got a lot of Atlanta players on the last album, mm-hmm. and, and you did a lot of focus there on Atlanta, mm-hmm. obviously the song. Mm-hmm. This was a whole different direction. Uh, and was it? Are you? Were, was this focused to reach a different audience? Was it? Uh, was where's your? What's your? What's your goal here? Well, like I said before, I was. I've always been a Burt Bacharach fan. Mm-hmm. That was first of all, and I've always wanted to do a Burt Bacharach songbook. I remember you talking about it like seven, eight years ago. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that Absolutely. was, yeah. Outside, is, outside of the Vista, we had yeah. a long talk about. Yep, I've always been a big fan of his, and this is something that I've always wanted to do. And uh, when I mentioned it to Kyrie, because you know Kyrie and Martin, Marty, they, you know they have you know they have their rooms in here. Well, tell us about that. Actually, we don't. Uh, well, well Kyrie was Kyrie. Well, I know I, I met I, I met Mar- I think I met Marty through Kyrie. And What's Marty's Kyrie's last name to distinguish Simmons. him from other Kyrie's? Simmons. Kyrie He's Simmons. a bass player. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Legendary bass player here in Atlanta. But now Marty's the producer here? Or? Well, Marty is one of the producers. And the, uh, he's, he's, that was Marty. He just was just Yeah, yeah, yeah he gave a, you that yeah, coffee has, right there. He took care of us. Marty he's, did. He, yeah, he's an engineer. He, he, did, he recorded the record. Okay, okay. And you know, and, and helped produce it and stuff, him and Kyrie. But you had more than six songs in mind. I mean, how many did you actually record? You 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 had a head full of Burt Bacharach songs when I was talking to you. Well, because yeah, I did, and and the thing is, is that we're thinking about doing a volume two. You should. Yeah, I mean, because I've always wanted to do Alfie. You know what I mean? I mean, that's such a beautiful song, and you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm I already kind of got an idea of how I want to do it. It's going to be very sparse. You know, may probably just. Piano and guitar, you know what I mean? Just a, like a duet thing on it. But, you know, that's something I've always wanted to do. And I also want to get a little bit, some more guest vocalists on this next record, you know. But now on vocalists, though, you're doing vocals now. What, you didn't always do vocals. That was like a couple of years ago you started doing that, right? Or did you always? I feel like well, you didn't. I, I kind of always did vocals, but, you know, I'm one of those kind of guys that I consider myself a guitarist mm-hmm. first. Singer second, and you know what I mean. That's the way I can. I never really considered myself a vocalist. I used to play with this guy named Charlie Eckstein years and years ago. He was that guy was. He was one of those old school guys. He did comedy. He did. He danced and he sang. He did all the old school, just old school. And he used to bug me and bug me and bug me, man, about. Uh, you know, singing something. I was like, hey, dude, uh, I'm I'm a guitar player. I don't sing. <laughs> you know what I mean. And he bugged me and bugged me and bugged me, and then finally he, I, he, I said, okay, if you leave me alone, I'll sing one. You know what I mean? And I sang, uh, what did I sing? Um, Unchained Melody. Ah, Righteous <laughs> Brothers. Yeah, Unchained Melody. And that point on, then he was making me sing all the time, and I should, I should have never did that in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> But so, you know, so it became it became chained melody. Yeah, right. Because I, I never really thought. I yeah. mean, I used to try to sing, and, and, and my sister would laugh at me. Don't you just don't sing? Just stick to the guitar. Well, people <laughs> love your hurt. You know the Trent song. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know that's a that's another one of those songs. When I actually see, mm-hmm. I heard Trent's version of it, 
but it didn't move me until I heard Johnny Cash's version. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That's the version he does. Yeah, yeah. because he, you, when I and I and I when I heard it, I actually saw the video. I didn't, I, I because it was, you know, that was MTV was MTV was kind of popular, kind of popular back then, and uh, I actually uh, saw the video, and you could just see what he was singing about in his face. You know what I mean? You can see that. You can just you can see the hurt there. You could I, I, you could feel that he was kind of singing about himself too. And then you also got to remember that was around the time that June died, his wife. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I, I, I I just got I got so much emotion from him, and it just really touched me. And that's why I you know I said oh man it's just it's just a great song you know. Can we get back to this? Interesting. Another interesting thing about these Burt Bacharach songs back mm-hmm. in the day, he, they would get written, and then it was like the musicians would be racing each other to record them, and you'd often hear d- different versions of the same song would be released. Yes, yes. I mean, a lot of the – you would hear that a lot. I mean, you'll hear like Walk On By by um, – um, uh, uh, yeah, well, everybody. Bobby, but, Chris, and the Imperial. Yeah, uh, but two, <laughs> Isaac uh, two, Hayes. Two, yeah, I, well, Isaac Hayes. He did. He did. A, did a, it was interesting. I, I kind of took little bits from Isaac, actually. Okay. You know, because that was not the. You know what I mean? Because I that was a, that was a because I'd never heard it done like when Isaac done it because he did it really slow. You know, and and he, you know I think he was you know and that was that was on the Hot Butter Soul album. And he did it really, really slow, and and it was very interesting. And he, and it, and that song is basically, you know, on musicians' term, you know, it's a major song. So they're playing like major seven chords, which is you know, you're more of your prettier chords. But at the end of the of Isaac's version, it goes to this dominant thing that's more of an R and B bluish blues type of feel. And uh, we kind of did that on the record. We just kind of just had to put it on there because I thought it was just so so cool and so funky.
reworking? Can you explain the? I couldn't find "Here I Go Again," but I found another song. "Here I Go Again" was was, was one of his more obscure songs. Okay, and you you know you 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 you, you kind of have to throw something in there to do that nobody nobody's heard. That, you know what I mean? I'm Captain Nug. I love Nugs, Grant. <laughs> yeah, you also, you threw you a also nug in looked there. at that song first and like, oh, he covered White Snake. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, it, actually, it's it, actually Dionne Warwick actually did. I heard her. I heard her version. She actually did it. But it was never one of her hits. It was very. It was one of those very obscure songs. It was never one of her hits. But I heard it. And it was. And it was so interesting. I says, "Man, we got to record this," you know, because it's just. It was just different. Soundtrack of to Casino Royale, and that soundtrack is all over the place. It can be quirky as hell, <laughs> you know. Well, he also worked with Elvis Costello. So one time go. I saw him was at, here in Atlanta. Because, with... Well, because that was Elvis Costello, man. I mean, it, the guy, he's one of the uh, one of our true great songwriters. You should send this record to Elvis. He would listen to it. Yeah, if I had his if I had his address, I would send it to his agent or something. Well, Rob, Rob will take care of that for you. It's not like Dylan <laughs> where he's removed. You can actually get stuff to Elvis Costello. Well, I'm going to try to get it to Bird, actually, because... Uh, I just assumed you would. Yeah, well, but, well, you know what's going to happen. It's going to get to him because he's going to get some royalties. And well, he's like, what is this? What is that? He's going to get them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, long, if his name was on him, he'd get them. <laughs> Mailbox money. Yeah. Well, and, and on that note, I mean, what's the what's the plan? I mean, the, you know, you've got, you've got music here that 
is very palatable for a lot. So how do you how are you reaching people with this? How are you going to reach the Burt fans and and whatnot? I mean, do we have are we going to see this in movies? Are we going to see do you have I mean, publishing? I, I mean, going? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you know, everyone's that I've talked to about it thought it was a great idea. Everybody that's heard the record loves the record. There are so many uh, Burt Bacharach fans. Mm-hmm. It's just because a lot, a lot of people, his fans, don't know they're his fans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, because they know out, the songs, uh, but they don't know he wrote them. Yeah. Who's yeah. putting it out for you? Uh, this company called ZMI, uh, ZMI Arcadia. Uh, they're an independent company. They're here in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, they're being distributed by um, Universal. Awesome. So if it's universal, then we can imagine that it's going to get some some play, uh, especially out there on like the Sirius XM channels and whatnot. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, like again, I I don't listen. I don't listen to that stuff. You know what I mean? I'm, if I even if I'm in the car, I'm just I got my iPad, my iPhone plugged into the car, so I'm basically listening. I listen to a lot of you know. I mean, I listen to a lot of old stuff from the fifties and sixties and. I was listening to some Charlie Parker on my way over here, so. I'm glad you brought him up. He's a primary influence on your dad. Mm-hmm. Kind of inspired your dad to be a single note player, whereas you mm-hmm. incorporate more rhythm stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, how do you look back on Charlie Parker and his influence on your dad? <laughs> Charlie Parker was an influence on jazz, period. <laughs> I mean, he was, he created bebop, him and, him and, him and um, Dizzy. Uh, and if you were going to play jazz, any type of jazz, you would have to listen to him. But didn't he improvise when it, before it was cool? Didn't he get crap for improvising? Wasn't he like kind of the patriarch of it? Yeah, he was. I mean, they they created Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, Max Roach, Monk. Those guys created bebop, you know. And 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 the older guys kind of frowned upon it because y'all they're playing too many notes and. It's just too fast, and you know they, all this stuff. But it was groundbreaking. You know what I mean? It it took everybody's mus- musicianship to another level to play like that. You know, and not taking anything from the old guys. You know, I mean they were great too. I mean, but these guys took it to another level, and you know, I mean that's why. Um, that's why you know jazz is you know is one of the one of the one of the art forms that you know we can. That in, in in Paris they 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 treat it in the same category as the classical music. You know, so did you ever meet Max Roach? Yes, I did. And Abby Lincoln. I did meet Abby, but I I work with Max. And what what was that like? Talk, give us a little he, insight on him. I met I met Max Roach on a. Uh, it was funny. I it, it, this this guy named Arthur Elgar was a famous photographer, and he shot a lot for a lot of fashion stuff for the fashion magazines Vogue and all that stuff. And so I got a call to that he wanted to shoot some some jazz musicians. Well, okay, so we go down there and uh, Naomi Campbell. Yeah, Naomi Campbell and a few other models all were all there and. That was Max Roach. And I was like, oh my God, that's Max Roach. And he was the nicest guy you ever wanted to meet. And we we hung out. I got a great, I took a great picture with him and uh, I still have it. And 
he he invited me to do a gig with him. I forgot it was someplace in New York. It was so long. You played ago. with him? Yeah, just one gig. That's you played with Max Roach. <laughs> yeah. I played with a few guys. Like I played with Jimmy Cobb too. Very cool. Yeah. Matter of fact, Ike was on that gig with me, Ike, and Pee Wee, Pee Wee Ellis. Pee Wee Ellis from James Brown Band. I yeah. saw him with Van Morrison. Once. Yeah, but we did. We played at the. Um, That's Ike Stubblefield for those. Yeah, Ike Stubblefield. We played at uh, Ronnie Scott's in London. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that place. Yeah. And you definitely knew Elvin Jones. Yeah, but I was a kid when Elvin was around. I mean, I, I, I knew him, but I didn't really know him. I just know him, knew him from being at the house, you know what I mean, being around my dad. So uh, I knew him, but I, I didn't really. It wasn't like we were, uh, I could ever really talk to him. And, I, and it's funny, when I got to New York, I didn't see much of him. You know what I mean? When I finally got to New York, when every when everybody was up there, he was never he was always gone on the road. Or I never saw much of him when I was in New York. So the, the last time I saw him, he had he had like a respirator. He literally, he's one of those I'll play till I drop kind of guys. He just did yeah. anything he could to keep playing. Well, you know, guys like that. This is that's 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 the sad thing. But the great thing about it too is that those guys, if he if he couldn't play. He would have. He would have died. He would have died sooner. Yeah. You know what I mean. That that is such a big part of life for musicians. And when they get to the point where, if they get to the point where they can't play, it's basically just you know better time. Something just made me think of Colonel Bruce Hampton. You yeah. were there on that night at Hampton Seventy. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your memories of that night? Well, you know the one thing I I, rem- I did notice about Bruce, and I, I and I didn't think about it till later on that he did look really tired. Yeah. But I thought, well, maybe it's because you know they they putting this thing together for him and all the running around, and he was you and know. he just didn't want any of that. Well, and yeah. getting up and down the stairs wasn't yeah, easy. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I just, I mean they had to rehearse and all that stuff. I just thought he was just tired from from putting that stuff on. But I did notice. That he looked way more tired than I've ever seen him before. Do you find the more you get away from it that it's less of a tragedy and more of a very poetic, amazing moment? Well, I, I, I tell you, man, when I Bruce was one of the first guys to embrace me when I came to town, and I and I and I and I loved that guy dearly. I mean, I remember uh, my first week in town because I, I met him. I was I met him at the uh, Blue Room. Oh, that was Ike's. Uh, that was right next to. Remember where I used to live over in Peachtree Battle? Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah. the Blue Room was. That's and it when was I like the, It was going to be the Hammond B three organ right. venue. And, right. Uh, yes. Bless Ike, man. He and, he and, tried. And, and, well, he tried because because I actually came in there with the Godfathers. That's right. Where, oh, with Ruben Wilson and, and Purdy. So, mm-hmm. so but you know, but Bruce calls me that the the, the week that you know I've been there a week. Bruce calls me. I'll never forget this. He says, "Hey man, what are you doing?" He says, "I just say, hey man, I'm just selling in. You know, I'm just you know getting in." He says, "Well, you do you not doing anything this week?" I said, "No." He said, "You working with me?" <laughs> <laughs> and by work, he meant like going out to lunch, <laughs> right? Getting stuff on your we shirt. Lot, we did a lot of that too. <laughs> we did roasters. Twelve roasters. That's right. Roasters. Twelve. What, what time would you say? Twelve thirty-seven or something? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, let's eat. <laughs> well, Bruce appreciated history. He must have asked you about your Detroit days a lot, didn't he? Because I'm gonna. Yeah, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce knew a lot. Of, Bruce. Bruce was a bit of a music historian. He really was. He knew a lot of. 
he knew a lot about he knew a lot about jazz. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize how much that Bruce knew about jazz and uh, and the stuff that Bruce really listened to. Well, you he know? knew about Johnny Knapp. It's another one he embraced yeah. when he moved to yep. Georgia. Exactly. You know, he, he knew he, he I, somebody who was that telling me that um I'm telling who was that telling me that they said that um who what was it it was somebody uh, the name is it's, I can't it'll come to me but they said they were they were in New York. And Bruce showed up. At, oh, it was Daisy. The sac- was it Daisy? That or Kevin King, right? Or Kevin Scott? <laughs> wasn't Kevin Scott? Because Kevin Scott wasn't was, was was this was way back in, oh, way you. back in the day before Kevin. I think Kevin wasn't even here. But Bruce Bruce showed up at a. At, it used to be this place in New York called Wetlands. Oh yeah. Oh, I know it well. Yeah, Wetlands. And uh, Bruce showed up at Wetlands with Hanson. And Idris Muhammad. Now, how is that possible? <laughs> I mean, only Bruce. <laughs> I mean, you got the beat by little little kids Hanson, you know what I mean? And then you got this this serious jazz drummer, Idris right. Muhammad. So, you know, that's what he shows up with. I saw those kids sitting with Bob Weir at Wetlands once. I wonder if Colonel was behind that. Yeah, he might have been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he yeah, might have been. And they're touring again, you know that? They're as uh, as adults, I guess. They're adults now. No, they all adults oh, they now. They probably they probably in their forties now. They're pretty well. Underrated. No, they, I mean, gosh, they some might of those guys got to be close to forty, man. You, you mentioned was there any uh, overlap between the meters and your father? Did they know each other? My my dad. I don't know if he. I don't know if I know he did one of their songs. He did ease back. But 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 I don't know I don't see I I don't know if Idris was Idris was from New Orleans, you know what I mean? Because he had that that really funky thing. But but I don't know I think Zigaboo was that main guy, you know what I mean? But but they were I guess they were all out of that thing. Uh, but I don't I don't know if I, I just should, I, you know what that's a good question. I and I know um, George Porter very well. I should ask him did they know my dad? You know. But wasn't when you lived in Detroit? Wasn't Stevie Wonder like at the end of the block? It was my neck. Well, his family, his mother and father, his brothers, they were my next door neighbors. But he was already pretty well known then, right? Oh yeah, he was pretty well known then. Yeah, he was. He was definitely a superstar already by by that time. Like, so was yeah. that like a hallowed house in the neighborhood? No, I mean it was. You know, I can remember, man. <laughs> Me and his brother, he passed away recently. Uh, Played drums and he was actually a good drummer. He had a really good feel. And I can remember uh, we we had a little, we put a little band together called Hot Ice, <laughs> and uh, we would be down in the basement and playing and stuff. And Steve would come down and he would play with us, but he would play the bass, but he was only use one finger like this, go up and down the neck with the one finger like that. And I used to crack up because I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. But he would play the right notes, but he was just using the one finger, you know. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious, you know. But yeah, he, I mean, Steve was a character, man. He, uh, I remember, uh, this is, and this is, a, this, is a, this is a true story. I remember there was a concert that he did at this theater, at this theater called, it's an outdoor theater called Pine Knob in, um, in Detroit. Yeah, way up north Michigan, right? Clarkston. It's like in, uh, it's not way up, it's, it's kind of, Kind of, what is it like? Maybe like 25, 30 minutes out of, out of the city. But uh, 
after we always did concert hung out party, you know, hanging out with Steve. We always I remember I always remembered Higher Ground was out. He was doing Higher Ground. And then they had an after party at his mom's house. So they had a champagne fountain. <laughs> that was the first time I've ever seen a champagne fountain. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, sense of wonder. Yeah, right. For the champagne so, fountain. So you know, Steve was drinking. Steve loves wine. He loves to drink wine. He and he, you know what I mean. And, and he likes his cookies. But he started. He was drinking this. He was drinking the wine. Then after a while, <laughs> he stuck his head under under the fountain and was kind of letting the wine go into his mouth. <laughs> so I go walk up to him. I start poking him in the stomach. Hey, Stevie boy, what you doing? So he grabs me. And we start wrestling. We're rolling around on the floor. Now, let me tell you something about Steve. That guy is strong as hell. He had me in a hole, some kind of hole I couldn't get out. <laughs> now, meanwhile, he's got me in this hole. I can't, get, I can't get out of the hole. He's actually almost choking me out. And this lady is in the background screaming, be careful, don't hurt Steve. He's got some songs left in him. <laughs> yeah, he was, I was surprised. I was, and I was young back then, so I was really, I was pretty strong myself, but he was way stronger than I was. And he can see better than people think, right? Well, I tell you one thing about him, he will, if you let him behind the wheel, he'll try to drive. He will. <laughs> but there were a lot of other musicians in Detroit at the time, right? Listen, uh, Marvin Gaye lived about four blocks. We used to play football with with uh, with with him, Ugh. and he uh, <laughs> he always had to be the quarterback too. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> right. <laughs> he lived on Outer Drive, and that's what that was about. Maybe like probably like four blocks from from our house, and on Outer Drive, it was you had this big island in the middle. You had Two or three, two or three lane traffic's on one side, and two or three lane traffic. So you can have a good football game on those big islands, and it was so funny when we would be out there playing playing football. You see him peeking out the window, so we know he's coming because <laughs> you see him peeking out the window, you know. And sure enough, here he comes with his sweats on. And then I, you know, I found out later on that he actually, uh, I didn't notice at the time, but. Hey, he always wanted to play football. He actually tried, he tried out for the Detroit Lions, and I didn't know that until later on. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wide receiver, tight end. Kind I of have no idea what he what he played, but he always wanted to be the quarterback. But he wasn't going to be the quarterback back in those Maybe days. Maybe a halfback. Maybe, was he fast? <laughs> Maybe he'd be a good halfback. I don't know. He wasn't, it wasn't that fast. We used to, I mean, like I said, we we would listen because he was Marvin Gaye. Don't think we we kids didn't hit him. We still, you know, yeah. We well, yeah. If you wrestle Stevie Wonder, <laughs> might as well might as well take a hit on Marvin Gaye. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. We still went at it. We didn't care. It was Marvin Gaye. We playing football now. But, but there was a lot of guys got guys in that area. Uh, Smokey Robinson's family. Some of their family lived down the street. It was a uh, uh, the Motown, uh, um, the uh, Four Tops. They lived on one. I think Levi lived on Santa Barbara or something like that. Um, it was just it, at that time when Motown was still there. Was a lot of a lot of music happening in the city, and you know, I remember I I, I remember you know talking telling people about James Jameson, was like the Godfather, one of the Godfathers of of, of R and B bass. You know right. what I mean? And people till today are still trying to get his his sound, you know, and his his tone. 
And I remember uh, he was friends with my dad. I guess they had done a couple of gigs or something together. And I remember him coming by the house. Again, I'm young. I, don't even, I didn't even have a license. But he had a brand new Cadillac. It was a Cadillac Fleetwood. So I go, I go up there, hey, man, let me drive your car. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I get in the car. I know know how to drive. I mean, my grandfather taught me when I was, you know, I was probably like 11 a year. He'd take me to the parking lot and let me drive. He taught me how to drive his car. You're probably better than Stevie. I was a little little bit. A little bit. (laughs) So I'm driving, and it's a new car. So I'm just trying to drive, you know, cool and smooth and stuff, you know. And I remember he looks at me and says, You're driving too slow takes his foot and mashes it on my foot, and we go flying down the street. Totally freaked me out. I didn't want to drive again for a long time after that because he totally freaked me out with that. But wow. that is there, a, that's another true story. Uh, it also reminds me of the first time he, when he was what, when you were 13 and you were drinking. Uh, so, someone made you drink. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Grant's <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, right. We, well, hey Rob, was, well, can we can we do a way back here? Would that be all right with you? You want? Oh, you want to take us in the way? We haven't been able to do this in a while. Okay, do the way back machine, sir. <laughs> when you were young and you started playing, what kind of insights insight did your dad give you? <laughs> When I started playing guitar, first of all, he wasn't pleased. <laughs> because of the musician's life and because of the music yeah. world. And yeah, he, wanted me, to he, be a, he, he felt, wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. I had to know he was Jewish. He was a Jewish mother? There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I get it. He was underappreciated. He was probably not taken care of the way. He probably got like $300 for a session and then went on and the, these things sell in perpetuity and he got 300 bucks. I, I could see why he... Well, yeah, I guess he he did okay with the, with the as far as the records because he did a lot of records for Blue Note. And I could always remember my mom telling me that they would, he would be down in the office sometimes at Blue Note, him and... Uh, it was either Frank Frank Wolf or Alfred Lyon, but they would be in the office and you hear all this yelling and screaming. It's always about money. They'd be yelling and screaming at each other, and then they would come out with their arms around each other. <laughs> the compromise had been reached. Yeah, had been reached. <laughs> no, but you want to say he but, didn't like you playing at first. No, he he didn't. He really didn't want me to be a guitar player. He wanted me, like I said, he wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, or something. And. Uh, I remember I would play stuff for him. I said, "Hey man, what do you think about this?" And I play something. Man, it ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I would get kind of upset. I said, "You know," and I would go upstairs. I'm practice. I said, I'm gonna teach him a lesson one day. And when I look back at it now, it was he just used a psychology on me because either two things was gonna happen: either I was gonna do what I did, get mad and go practice. Or I was going to quit, which meant it wasn't for me. You know what I mean? So I guess he knew what he was doing, you know? But he never took me serious. He used to let me sometimes, because I knew a lot of the melodies to his songs, he used to like let me rehearse band members, like a new 
like especially like new piano players and stuff like that. Really? Yeah, because I knew I knew his melodies to his, his songs and stuff. Still didn't take me serious though. But <laughs> <laughs> enough to do well, that though. Enough not, not to pay him because he was doing other <laughs> stuff. He just he, he, you know what I mean. So he just made me do it. And Seth nailed it. He didn't have to pay you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but I wrote this song, and I was just. Fooled around with it with the with his, his keyboard player. His name was Ronnie Russian, and I remember my dad running downstairs and says, "Whose song is that? I like that song." And Ronnie says, "That's your son's song." Nice. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that keyboard player. He was always rushing the tempo. <laughs> that's that's the drummer. That was uh, oh. Bobby Russian. <laughs> 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 So what did your dad say? He was he was taken aback. He was taken back that I that I wrote this song, and it was funny because again I knew a lot of the stuff that he played, so it was kind of like he had a song. Uh, he had a couple of songs that was written by this guy named Neil Creaky. One of them was "Time to Remember," and another one was uh, "Cease the Bombing." So it was kind of a really pr- pretty melodic thing, and and when I wrote that song, I kind of wrote it in that that type of vein. And I guess he loved this guy's writing, so when he heard it, he actually started playing the song at one point. Yeah. And I remember once he was playing it at the club, and I was there watching him, and he forgot the melody. <laughs> he was like this, so I go up there, and he's like, what's the melody again? <laughs> I don't have the melody in this <laughs> And that must, you must have felt great. That must yeah. have been like a peak moment. It was. Then, like I said, after that, he came, when I, I think when I when I wrote that song, he started taking me more serious as a as a as a uh, musician because he let me play rhythm guitar behind him, which he didn't play much rhythm at all, right? No, I was playing, and this is when he was doing all the more of the funky stuff. This wasn't when he was doing all like no, it was more all, all the funky stuff. He was in the funk and R and B back then. Well, you know, with the jazz jazz you know stuff to it, but but I remember I was yeah I would play rhythm guitar and. He would say, "Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna let my son take a guitar solo, and and I would start to play, and my fingers would turn to wood because oh. <laughs> I was intimidated by him. I'll bet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just so intimidated that I, you know, I would choke every time he tell me to take a solo. I would just hands would turn to wood. <laughs> did you when you lost him? Did you have to stop listening to his music for a while? Uh, no, I didn't stop listening to his music. I, I but I will. You know, it was funny when when I when he passed away. It was in 1979, and it was probably it was a huge blow for me because he was you know he was really my idol. He was who I wanted to be. You know what I mean? And so I was. I I remember being really crushed, but I but it, I used to. I would constantly dream about him, and it was like he wasn't gone. He was still there. He was like, I was always like, well, man, where you been? And he was like, well, I had to go over here. And so it was weird. It was just a, it was a really strange. Um, it was a really strange time in my in my life uh, uh, when he passed. You know, I think about uh, probably about a couple of years later, I ended up moving to Canada, and I lived over there for a while, just to clear your mind a little bit. Yeah, just to get, just pretty much get away from it, get away from everything, and um, oh yeah, that was that was 
that was that was huge when uh, when when he, uh, when he when he met. I, I, you know, it's it's always bad when we you know when you lose a relative, but uh, you know, again, he was somebody that I wanted to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it was devastating. How often do you put on his music these days? Every now and then I throw some stuff on, you know, because I, you know, I'm still stealing stuff from him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so well, it's in your blood. It's not stealing. Hey, <laughs> are there any young players that remind you of your dad more than others? Well, uh, Eddie from uh, I was getting the new uh, Masters on. Yeah, he's that's a, exactly Eddie, what I was gonna say. Yeah, he he loves my dad. <clears throat> he loves my dad. I mean, he just loves them. And you know, I met those guys years ago. I met them when when I was working with the Godfathers. We 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 did a festival in Switzerland. I think it was Switzerland, and we were the only two bands in the festival. Everybody else was DJs. <laughs> we were the only two bands there. But uh, yeah, Eddie Roberts. He yeah he he he's a he's a, and uh, what's the, so is uh, Scott Sherrard. I don't know if you know Scott Sherrard. You played with Greg. You played with yes, Greg Allman. Yeah. Yes. He's yeah. doing stuff up in New York still. Yeah, he still yeah, does he's a great player. Yeah, he still does a lot of, uh, you know, he does still does the tributes, the Grand Green tributes and stuff. When I first met him, he was he was another one that just wanted to sound like my old man, you know. But my old man influenced a lot of people, though. I mean, it, listen, if it wasn't for old, my old man and West Montgomery, there would have been no George Benson. Mm-hmm. You're reading my mind. I was just about to ask about West Montgomery. Yeah. Well, well, Did you meet him? I talked to him once on the phone. I never met him. I met Kenny Burrell. I know Kenny Burrell. He played with your dad. There's a nice video on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, yeah, him and Barney Kessel. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I actually met him. He was he was a real nice guy. But uh, uh, when George first started, you know, we, he he played with Jack McDuff, and my old man used to play with Jack McDuff. And when he first started playing, he sounded exactly like my dad. Like too much. Well, everybody's influenced. You know, this is the thing. (laughs) Everybody's influenced by somebody. Everybody in in the music business. Mm -hmm. The the thing is that, but in order to separate yourself, you have to get your own voice. You, but you, but but you're. Everyone is influenced when you pick up an instrument. You pick up an instrument and you somebody's influencing you, and you want to play like that person. Yeah. Now Rob always calls that you know that change to kill mommy, but in this yeah. case it'd be kill daddy. Right. What? <laughs> well, no, it's a thing where if you if your playing is too much informed by a single artist that you listen to too much, that you need to st- at some point stop completely stop listening to that artist. For well, it. the problem is with the, the problem is with that is is this when if you sound to, if, if if you want to sound exactly like that artist. The problem is, if the, that artist already exists, right? So, you know what I mean. You're never going to get to the point where you want to be because you're playing. You know what I mean? Unless unless you're playing in different circumstances. Now, now what Eddie is doing is he's doing it more in a jam band thing. So that's fine, and he's doing more of the uh, later. Uh, you know the, the earlier, I mean, the, the more the funkier stuff that my old man did. But a lot of you know what I mean. But a lot of the jam man kids knew who my old man was too. 
because they were playing like Windjammer and Ain't It Funky Now, and they were all playing that kind of stuff. You know, I remember, uh, I remember when I sit in with the Great Boy All Stars once, oh, and, yeah. yeah, they would, and they would say, "Yeah, we got to play Windjammer," <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so they, you know, they 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 all they all listen to that stuff, you know. Well, we appreciate your time. We know you got stuff to do. Well, um, be, let's um, let's fine. let's the. Uh, I mean, we could go uh, we could go through your whole life, but I, what I want to do here is mm-hmm. uh, is just take a couple minutes and. I mean, you moved to Atlanta. Let's talk about your time here in Atlanta because you moved here what, fifteen years ago? Has it been fifteen? I moved here in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, something like that. Yeah. yeah From where? Where were you living at that point? New York. So it went mm-hmm. Detroit, Canada, New York, Atlanta. Anywhere? Well, else? I was I was born in St. Louis. Right. Um, and then my dad, when my when my dad and mom, and then they 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 moved to New York. I think my grandparents were alive, but we ended up in New York in the sixties. St. Louis and New York in the sixties. Nice place to live. Yeah. That time, right? Mm-hmm. In the in the in the, the late sixty nine seventies, I moved to Detroit with my dad. My mom and dad is you know divorced, so he wanted me, uh, you know, to stay with him, and I did. You know what I mean? Uh, and um, so I was in Detroit for uh, I guess a good uh, seven eight years. And then I went back to New York, uh, and then I came back to Detroit, <laughs> and I went back to New York again. Then I went to Canada, and went back to New York again. And I, that last time I was there for like I guess I stayed there for a good twenty some years. And then Atlanta. Then Atlanta. Well, now, when you now in Atlanta, you've covered a lot of ground. I mean, you're a staple musician here uh, playing at so many different places so playing with so many different people you hooked up with someone like garv uh mahaltra and now you know and he's just one of your one of your one of your go-tos i mean you guys and you can see i mean you're you're a career musician but you pay the bills and you pay the bills you're you're playing both you know the botanical gardens you're playing neighborhood fest you're playing restaurants and mm-hmm. doing br- uh, brunches and and yet um, you sat in with the allman brothers band which by the way yeah. i'm the one who gave you the, that disc of that oh that's right yeah that's right that was me taking full credit and then and then you go do tours in europe and you know you do the master uh, the mm. You know, you're you're all out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talk about a little bit about what you do in Atlanta, some of the musicians you've been playing with, um, and then and also uh, some of the musicians we've lost. Uh, because there's like you know we met, you mentioned Ike and of course John Rico. Uh, I mean, Rico, you, you got some Kofi, with these guys. Kofi, we lost Kofi, John Rico, Ike, Bruce. I, you know, and and these were the guys that when I first came to town that I was you know I mean these were all the guys that I that I knew. I mean, like I said, Bruce was. Was the first one to take me on his wings and said, "Come on, man, come on." That's how I did. That's the first time I ever did jam. Bruce was with Bruce. Uh, yeah, hold on, hold on, no. And that was when that was the year Fishman was on too, right? Wasn't that the year Fishman? Was Fishman was on. I that? think that was the year. Yeah, because we did that. I remember. I know Warren Haynes was on it, and I remember he left early because he, did. he didn't like he didn't yeah, like he, being on the boat. Uh, he didn't like the waves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, that was you don't remember mm-hmm. the jam in the center. Uh, oh, I remember the jam. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Fishman yeah, 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 in the yeah, jam yeah. room, and it just yeah. it just blew the yeah. roof off. Yeah, I remember. And, that and jam. to this day, well, I mean, it'll be forever now. But that Bruce would always say that was one of his favorite. Musical moments. He said it on our show. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was yeah, it was a, it, that that was a that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, 
And like I said, it was my first time, you know, to actually, you know, doing that. And, you know, I met a lot of those guys, you know, like Carl and, you know, Carl Denson and, you know, all those guys from being on 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 the on the um, on the boat. Mm -hmm. And then and then through that relationship, you helped get Dr. Lonnie Smith on board. I mean, that was a dream. He yeah. haunts my phone. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah, I, I texted something out and now. It always pops up, Dr. Lonnie Smith, and it's in the future, a picture. That's wow. weird. Yeah, it's wild. I'll have to pull it up and show hmm. it to you. Right. But yeah, I mean, it, what, you, know, yeah, you and he, Lonnie were tight. Oh, well, listen, I, me and Lonnie go back to when I was a kid. I was like 14 or 15 years old. That's, you know, I mean, that's how long I've known Lonnie. When I first got to New York and was trying to hang out with the, with the jazz cast, there used to be this club called the Pepper and salt, or either salt and pepper. It's been so long. Uh, if you're looking at me, it's salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. Well, that's like both of us now. <laughs> More salt, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I shaved the beard. Now I got, I got rid of a bunch uh, of salt. I just, I just figured, you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> See, blonde hides the gray. There you go. <laughs> but I remember, you know, I when no, and all those guys that used to be up there, like Stanley Turrentine, um, uh, uh, um, um, Lou Donaldson, you know, all these real cats would be up there at this jam session. And I would go up there and I'm, you know, I'm fresh out of Detroit. Now, you know, I'm all this stuff I learned from this, this this book called a fake book. So you think, mm -hmm. you know, you really know what's going on and you, you, you're going to go and show these guys up something. And then you get up there and play with them. And they're looking at you like you're crazy because you're really not playing the right stuff. You're playing something that you read out of a book. Yeah. But you're not playing from your heart. Well, no, it's not playing from my heart. What, what sometimes what they would do in fake books, let's say, they, let's say if, uh, if a song was, uh, they'll say a song is in G major. I guess maybe it's easier to do it that way. Or, or it's D7. But really, it's not a G major. It's really maybe a G major 7. Or a D seven sharp nine, a, you know what I mean. But they don't put the whole chords on there. You know what I mean. They don't put the. They just do. They just make it. Try to make it as simple as you as it can make it. So you learn these things from the book, and you're thinking this is it. Then when you go to play with the older cats, they're looking at you like, "What are you playing?" And and I will tell you something, man. They're ruthless. If you didn't play what they, if you playing the wrong stuff, when you get finished with that song, they're gonna be like, all right, get off the stage. Oof. <laughs> How many times did that happen to oh, you? It happened to me a bunch of times. Oh, man. And I tell you, and, 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 and you know the funny part about it was everybody always said, well, yeah, that must be so embarrassing to me. No, you know what the most embarrassing part was? It was a jam session, and you got to walk through the audience, and then it's saw you get kicked off mm -hmm. the stage. That was the most embarrassing part. Got a lot of eyes on you. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. Shaking their head. Oh. <laughs> hey, got kicked off stage. <laughs> if you're playing smalls, then uh, you know at least the door's right, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you feel small when you, when you walk out of it. But uh, uh, but I remember Lonnie said, "Hey man, come out my house, and I'll show you the right changes to these songs." And he did, and he was already established. He didn't have to do that, and I will never ever. Forget that that he did that for me. That's a kind soul. Yeah, he was a he was a great cat, man. The nicest guy you ever wanted to meet. Oh, 
And Ike's, we haven't talked enough about Ike Stubblefield. Could you could you tell our listeners why he's significant, and then maybe share some of your you were close to yeah, him? Yeah, you were really. I mean, you were tight well, with Ike. First, when, yeah, tight so with when Ike. I, when I first got got to, got to town, I stayed with Ike. Okay. Yeah, I, I stayed at his house, and um, uh, he fed his bird. Let me tell you something, man. <laughs> Let's hear about that, the bird. That bird. <laughs> <laughs> That that bird man was out of control. <laughs> I mean, if you if you he would first of all he would be he, if you got if we're sitting at a table here if if this is your water and something he would claim your water, and if you try to you know take your water he try to try to bite you, and and I was like man you know what's up with this bird? And then I realized Ike was feeding the bird chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you feed them as relatives. I don't know if that's cool. Oh, <laughs> He's like, no, that's all right. He likes chicken. <laughs> oh, man. But that bird, yeah, that was a mean little bird, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, did he have a Hammond in his house? Would he play? Would he play? He had a B three. He had a B. He kept a B three in the basement. Uh, he had, yeah, he had a B three, and he had a studio down there. And, um, and Grant loved taking gigs with him when it would be like uh, Smith's Old Bar. And, and no, I did not. I, Ike's like, come <laughs> no, on, Gigi, not. you come. And next thing you know, I, uh, you see Gigi carrying up the <laughs> no, you, no, no, you did not. <laughs> no, uh, you did not see me. You might have yeah. saw some of the younger guys yeah, carrying yeah, that stuff no, up. Sure. You didn't see Gigi carrying that stuff up. <laughs> I used to have to carry a couch up there every Sunday. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, 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 Dunham days. No, oh my God! Listen, oh my gosh. I, 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 my days of lifting B threes and stuff was long gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, uh, I, I used to my old man owned B threes and stuff. Yeah, he, he had all this stuff for his players. So I had to lift. Go, I, I had to lift all that crap at a young age. Yeah, you know, before my foot. That's when I, I. That's when I had a back. You know, now you know what I mean. Now, uh, now he's got a back rack. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But what was distinctive about playing with Ike? What was different about playing with him from uh, compared to playing with other uh, keyboard? Well, Ike was influenced by a lot of the older older players. The thing that I found most interesting about Ike, he was a great player, but he couldn't read. He couldn't even read, he couldn't even read chord charts. If I told out a chord, call a chord out to him. He wouldn't know what it is, but his ears were so good. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> his ears were so good that he could hear and play it back. And I found, and I thought that was amazing. You know what I mean? Because I remember, I remember, I was like, "Well, was this, this, when I, I taught him a song or something, I, well, you play major seven, he said, oh, I don't, I don't know, what, I don't know what that is." So he and his bird had a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, I guess they did. <laughs> there was one time outside of Vista Room, I was sitting between the two of you, and I was having a really animated conversation with Ike, yucking it up real hard. And then I had the audacity to suggest that I interview him sometime, mm-hmm. and his whole demeanor changed. Really? He got very well, serious. he loved. Come on, he Ike did not like interviews. I don't. Yeah, think. but he loved. He loved giving story. He loves telling stories. He does, but not in front stories. of a mic. He he he. I wanted to do an episode on yeah, the show, well, and he did was not into it. Or maybe he know, just when, I, when, when he came up to me right after and said, "Rob said you'd interview me." Right? Maybe <laughs> maybe we should have had you uh, you do that one. 
Yeah, yeah, he liked being a spotlight. Don't think he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll play uh, throughout the episode clips from the record, but Mm -hmm. begging your indulgence, Seth, I think we should end with uh, anyone who had a heart. So could you tell us about that song? And I was surprised to see that Patul Clark had uh, recorded that as well as Dionne Warwick. Yeah, um, again, it was all... His songs are, are so melodic. And... That was always another song that I wanted to do of his. But there were so many different versions of it. And I wanted to pick something that was just a little bit different than all the earlier 60s versions of it. Well, I found the Luther Vandross version of it. Hmm. (laughs) And I was like, Okay, I like this. I like how Luther's doing this. So I, I took some stuff from Luther and put it, you know, kind of that kind of vibe, and I put it on. Uh, uh, does anyone have a heart? Um, again, I mean, when you just when you listen to Burt Bacharach's music, it, it's he's so melodic. Everything is so melodic, and he can be tricky too. I mean, sometimes he'll play something and it'll make it it'll make it sound like something, like damn, an, an almost impossible chord to play. But it's not because he just moved everything up a half step. But even instead of doing it to major, he moved up everything minor, which is very unorthodox. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he had he had an interesting way of uh, of actually doing things, and that that. That uh, I I I found it, and and I really noticed that when I was um, when I learned Alfie. You know, what I mean, I mean, and there's a ton ton of chords in that song, and it's it's not a, a easy song to play. Neither is Wise and Lovers. That's another one that's not a very easy because you got a lot of chord changes there. But um, but yeah, I mean, he is one of our our great American songwriters. Him, Jimmy Webb. I love Jimmy Webb too. He's another one. You know Jimmy Webb? Maybe. I, I'm not. The name is not ringing a bell. Galveston, oh Galveston, I can see those sea winds blowing. Ding, ding, ding. Glen Campbell. He also, he also. By the time I get to Phoenix, she'll be rising. That's it. That's it. Jimmy wrote, Webb. Jimmy Webb, man. He's great. He wrote a lot of great stuff too. Well, we really appreciate your time. And Absolutely. if people out there want a volume two, is there a way they can support uh, such a venture? Yeah, just hit up our hit up. Make What's sure your you, Venmo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, tell me, hit up. Just, uh, just you know, we're 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 at the ZMI Arcadia, and you know, if you guys want to hit up, let the record company know that we want to have volume two. Yes, you but know? first get this get the uh, vinyl on this. When's the vinyl coming out? The vinyl's supposed to be out in October. All right, all right. Yeah, well, you know they had a shortage. Yes, yes. Right, you know? all the big names get first in line, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's, uh, it was it, that kind of sucks. It's real pressing, I know. Yeah, it deep is. Pressing. Isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, deep pressing. Yeah, it's right. Better, yeah. So that's yeah, why we workshop these things, Rob. Yeah, I mean it's, yeah, it's. I mean, but even a lot of the major guys aren't getting it. Well, thank you for moving to Atlanta. Thank you for being there for Colonel and Ike and Yanrico and so many great musicians. And uh, thank you for staying here. It's always great to see you, and I really appreciate having the time to talk to you. Oh, man. I, I met, listen, I've, I've, I've met a lot of great people like you guys since I've been here. And um, 
I couldn't live in New York or Detroit on space anymore. It's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bacharach. Yeah, all right. Grant oh, Green yeah. Jr. And we leave you with anyone who had a heart. <laughs>
Thank you.